0: Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes Podcast. My name is Matthew. And my name is Matteo. And you continue to not like this intro, but we're going to run with it. (laughs) All right. To our audience, we just finished lunch. Matteo is feeling slightly sleepy. He asked for a nap, and I said, no nap. So we're just going to roll right into this. Together, we are diving deep into the history of Rome, from its founding to its death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way, and we are ranking them. And in this episode, episode 10, we're going to explore the life and the heroism of Publius Cornelius Scipio the younger, that some of you might know as... Scipio Africanus. Scipio Africanus. Mateo, there is so much to cover in this episode. You and I have been, I think, both really looking forward to the episode and slightly slightly fearful of it. For sure. Why is that? It's a very hard
1: uh, topic to tackle. It's a very hard topic. You want to do him justice. Exactly
0: right. That's exactly right. You also
1: right. can't do a whole audiobook on him.
0: That's exactly right. And so, to our listeners, this is our dilemma Scipio is epic, legendary, so worthy of our thought, so worthy of I, this little podcast that we put together. It's really all about guys like Scipio. And our problem is aside from the fact that we're very intimidated by him, and we're worried that we might not do him justice, is there's so much to say about Scipio. He did so much. We know so much about him. His impact on the world was so huge that we can't fit it into one episode, unless the episode is super, super long. So we're going to split our coverage of Scipio in two episodes. And we ask for your patience and for your forgiveness. Uh, And each of these two episodes is going to be on the long side. But we promise that this doesn't reflect a change in our podcast. Our idea is still to do one episode per hero. That's the deal. But Scipio might just be the biggest of them all. And he's special. And we believe that he deserves a little bit more from us. So please be patient with us. We hope that at the end of these two episodes, you look back upon it and say, it was so worthwhile. But either way, we're going to do it. So please buckle up for Scipio Africanus. We hope that you find him worthy. But, Mateo, before we get going, we owe an apology to one of our listeners. Oh, do we? Yes, we do. You know this listener very well. Do I? Yes. She is your mother. Oh. And your mother was profoundly disappointed in me and in you. Oh, yeah. Because we seriously botched something very important, which was the nickname of Fabius, our hero from the last episode, when he was a little boy, was Ovicula. And you and I were trying to figure out whether or not that traced to a word in Spanish, which it absolutely, a thousand percent did. But we blew it. So... Aveja oveja. Oveja in Spanish means sheep, and ovicula in Latin means little sheep. Ovis is sheep in Latin, ula means little. You guessed that part, but we got stuck. Anyways, the point is, we're so sorry. Thank you, dear listeners, especially this one, for giving us feedback. We're going to try to keep getting better and better. So. Sure which is the year in which Publius Cornelius Scipio, the younger, was born. Matteo? that's about 22 years before our hero from last episode, right. Fabius, died. Okay. And they knew each other.
1: Really, personally? Oh, yeah, we did actually say
0: that. I yeah. forgot. We touched they on were, it. They were kind of enemies in, in court. They were kind of enemies, and we're going to get into it in this episode. And I think that after this episode, if you could go back and change the ranking on Fabius... My guess is you're probably going to want to do it, but you can't. Why? <laughs> you can't, but you just hang in there because their interaction is really cool. So that's where we are in time, and this is where we are, Mateo, In, around the world. What's happening around the world? In 235
1: BCE, well, the world was, had a lot of cultural shifts and political shifts happening. So Rome was obviously... Uh, They weren't just at war with the Carthaginians, but they were also fighting the Illyrians and the Macedonians at this time, um, over I think maritime routes. Uh, Greece saw the influential uh, Ptolemies stepping onto the stage, reshaping its political landscape. Uh, In India, the Mauryan ruler Ahsoka was ambitiously expanding his territories, setting the stage for a significant personal transformation. And uh, in China, the Warring States period was rampant and in full swing. The,
0: the, the thing about the Warring States, I know nothing about this period of time in such China. A cool, such I'm a cool so period. sorry. But this is something that we need to dig into because sure. there was a lot of war in a lot of states. Oh, yeah. And actually, last episode we were talking about Oversimplified. He did a video on the, on the Warring States period as well, so you should go check it out. Oh, he did? Out. Oversimplified yeah. History? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to check it out. You need to send me a link so I can listen yeah, to it. for sure. All right. So that's where we are in the world, that's where we are in time, and now let's talk about Scipio, born in 235. Later in life, he would earn the nickname or the agnomen Africanus, but that came much later, and we're going to cover the events uh, that earned him that name. He had an older brother, his name was Lucius. That older brother also had a nickname that he earned in war called Asiaticus or Asiaticus, But we can argue about whether or not he deserved it. He doesn't figure a great deal in the story, but he does show up in the end. Asiaticus means what? Asian? Yeah, because he conquered Asia. Mm-hmm. And he did. But we're going to talk about what that means in a, in a little bit. Okay. Scipio's father had the same name as him. That's why we're going to refer to them for the time being as Scipio the Younger and Scipio the Older. His father's name was Publius Cornelius Scipio. His mom's name was Pomponia. Uh, not a very, I would say... Doesn't roll Attracting off the tongue. Name. Yeah, yeah. I'm oh, sure. Ponia. I'm sure she was a lovely person and a great mom. The Cornelii family, which is that is the the nomen of the of the of, of Scipio's family. They were an ancient family, Matteo. And so, just to, to break this up, ah, you have Cornelii, which is the family name, right. and Scipio. It's actually is a cognomen. That means, and we talked about this in past episodes. That was a nickname for some ancestor.
1: Right. But it also like, eventually evolves into branching off into like little, like, um, what's it called,
0: sub-branches of a bigger house, right? You're 1,000% right. And what I thought was kind of cool is that Scipio means walking stick in Latin. So somewhere back in the midst of time, he must have had an ancestor that was wandering around the forum with a walking stick. Yeah. And somebody gave him the nickname, and the stick stuck. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I thought so, too. Now, before we get into Scipio any further, we really need to understand his nemesis better. Mm -hmm. And his nemesis that's going to figure prominently Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. next Mm -hmm. two episodes is Hannibal Barca. Oh, yeah. That's the big one. The number one. We talked a little bit about Hannibal in last episode with Fabius, but we sort of skimmed over him. And I don't think we can understand how important Scipio was unless we understand how brilliant Hannibal was. That's exactly what I'm thinking. So let's go back in time. Okay. That was an interesting (laughs) little sound right there. We use that to transport. And so we're transporting back in time, Lenteo, to the end of the First Punic War. We talked about it a little bit when we talked about Regulus. It was the first clash of titans between Rome and Carthage. And as we know, Carthage lost that war. And the general that presided over the curtain falling on the end of the first Punic War for Carthage was a guy named Hamilcar Barca. So Carthage was thrashed in the first Punic War by, it, uh, by Rome and Hamilcar tried to pick up the pieces. And when he looked around the Mediterranean and thought, how do I not only preserve what's left of Carthage, but make a comeback? How do we come back and take another shot at Rome? He found himself focusing on Spain. Now, as we know, Carthage was a Phoenician colony once upon a time, and there were other Phoenician settlements dotting the Mediterranean, and in particular, in southern Spain. So he looked to Spain and said, that's where we should focus our energies. It's a rich land and nobody dominates it. And that can be ours. And we can use Spanish wealth, Spanish resources to recover what was Carthaginian power. So, Hamilcar sailed for Spain shortly after the end of the First Punic War. And he took his son Hannibal, one of several sons, but he took Hannibal with him to Spain Hannibal was nine at the time, and he also went with his son-in-law, a guy named Hasdrubal. Oh, I do not know it was his son-in-law, I thought it was his actual It's both. Because it turns out that the Carthaginians were not very creative when it came to naming their male children. Uh-huh. There are like five names that <laughs> basically contains all Carthaginian males. That's nice. Yeah. And so it's going to be massively confusing. I'm going to try to make it clear as we go <clears throat> along. but. Hamilcar sails for Spain, and he very quickly takes control of a massive chunk of what is today modern Spain. And what's really cool about this, Mateo, or interesting, is that Hamilcar wasn't claiming Spain for Carthage. He was claiming it for himself? He was basically claiming it for the Barca family. Nice. And so he cared about Carthage, but he cared even more about... Control and right. control for the barcas. And so, Carthage, you and I have talked about this historically, had always been a lot like the Roman Republic. You no, know, it had a Senate, and there was really nobody on top of the Senate. You had this concept of the consul, but real power resided in the Senate. Right. Same thing with Carthage until this moment. All of a sudden, you have a warlord basically on top of the power structure in Carthage, and that warlord was Hamilcar Barca. Very quickly, thanks to his domination of Spain, he was able to get Carthage to recover from the First Punic War. All of a sudden, those indemnities that Rome demanded that Carthage pay became very easy to pay. Light. It was light. Light payments. And there was a shift in Carthaginian power around this time. They had always been a massive sea power, right? They were Phoenicians. No longer. Now their power was land power. Elephants. Elephants and soldiers. So they had remnants from the first Punic army, which were Libyans and Carthaginians, Numidians, battle-scarred, battle-hardened veterans. And Hamilcar added to that army Spaniards and Gauls. It was a very formidable force, just waiting for the right general to exploit it. And they soon got that general in Hannibal Barca, the son of Hamilcar. So as we said, Hannibal was born in 247 BC. He was 12 years older than Scipio. And he was born 6 years after the end of the First Punic War. And here's a little bit about the name. I think you're going to find this interesting. Hannibal comes from the name Hanno, which is basically the Phoenician version of John. It's like a super common name. John O'Car. And then Baal, and Baal, Mateo, was the principal Phoenician god. Right. He was like Zeus or Jupiter, he was the god of fertility, weather, wind, lightning. Wheat. And, and wheat, exactly. So you put this together, you basically get John Jupiter, and we call him Hannibal today, but we think the name was probably pronounced Hanno Baal, meaning John Zeus. God. <laughs> exactly, John the god. So we don't know too much about his childhood, but we know that he was trained from an early age to detest Rome. And these are, Matteo, this is going to make little hairs stand up on the back of your neck. These are Hannibal's own words about his youth. And you know about this because you alluded to it in a prior episode. Hannibal said, When my father was about to go on his Iberian expedition, Iberian meaning Spain, I was nine years old. And as he was offering the sacrifice to Zeus, I stood near the altar. The sacrifice successfully performed, my father poured the libation and went through the usual ritual. He then bade all the other worshippers stand back a little and calling me to him, asked me affectionately whether I wished to go with him on his expedition. Upon my eagerly assenting and begging with boyish enthusiasm to be allowed to go, he took me by the right hand. Give me your right hand. Okay led me up to the altar and bade me lay my hand upon the victim, that's the animal that was just sacrificed, and swear that I would never be friends with Rome as he poured blood on my hand.
1: Yeah, like I said, pretty crazy, pretty crazy dad right there.
0: Pretty crazy dad. So from a very early age, Hannibal knew nothing but...
1: Blood oath and hate Rome.
0: Yes, that was his life's work. So that was Hannibal describing himself at age nine. When he was 18, Matteo, his father, died. And his brother-in-law, who was equally talented, was called Hasdrubal the Fair. Not to be confused with Hannibal's brother, also named Hasdrubal. So sorry, this is very really confusing. Okay,
1: so his brother-in-law, the handsome one, is
0: the one that could fight. His brother-in-law, the handsome one, was also a very good general. He became the next commander-in-chief and essentially the dictator of Carthage but Hasdrubal was not as interested in expanding Carthaginian hold on uh, on Spain he wanted to consolidate it so he actually signed a treaty with Rome saying that Carthage wouldn't go further north than the river Ebro in, in Spain and he would not touch a city in Spain next to Valencia allied with the Romans called Saguntum men when Hannibal was 26 now, Matteo Hasdrubal was assassinated. Oh, wow. And the Carthaginian Senate acclaimed young Hannibal as their commander-in-chief of all the armies at age 26. And what did this guy do that was bred to hate Rome? He went right for them. He went right for them. He took Saguntum. He took his armies north of the Ebro River into the no-go Zone. He violated the terms of the treaty. He threw down the gauntlet.
1: Right. The die was cast.
0: He, the, he wanted war. And if you remember from last episode, that's when Fabius went to Carthage and stood in front of the Carthaginian Senate it's, it's war. and said, guys, and this is a tiny little, tiny little additional fact, a little gem from that moment. Matteo Fabius is standing in front of the Carthaginian Senate. He was wearing his ceremonial white toga and he grabbed both ends of the hem, the left and the right. And he said to the Carthaginians, gentlemen, and ladies maybe, in my left hand I hold war, in my right hand I hold peace. What will you have of Rome? And the Carthaginians started going back and forth and they were bickering between themselves and finally Fabius said, you know what? It's war. Let the hem fall. It's going to be war. So when war is declared, mm-hmm. where was Scipio? Time to get into his past. So, Scipio's father was one of the main Roman generals, Matteo, in 218 when war is declared with Carthage. And in fact, Scipio the Elder was one of the two consuls. And after Seguntum, the Roman Senate commanded Scipio the Elder to take a couple legions and to march for Spain and to start engaging the Barca family in Spain. But when he entered Gaul, Scipio one day or evening saw some skirmishers from Carthage in Gaul, a place where they shouldn't have been. And he was a very shrewd guy. So he said, you know what? The Elder. The Elder. Okay. I'm going to send my legions on to Spain with my brother, but I, the consul, am going to return to Italy because I think, think something fishy is going on. So he returned to Italy. He took control of the troops in Cisalpine Gaul, which is northern Italy around Mediolanum. And that's where he was when Hannibal descended from the Alps with his 37 war elephants and Scipio the Elder met Hannibal on the first battle in, 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 on Roman soil at the river to Chinus in, in 218 Wait, BC. So
1: he was consul at. Oh, never mind, because Cunctator, whatever, Fabius was dictator, not consul.
0: And he, yeah, he came afterwards. Cunctator yeah. came just a little bit afterwards, which is a super important point. But before I get there, let's talk a little bit about Scipio's first appearance in history. The elder was fighting Hannibal at the river and the Romans were routed. They didn't know how to deal with war elephants. Hannibal had him outnumbered and frankly, probably out-generaled. The young Scipio was left on a hilltop surrounded by bodyguards as his father was battling below. And when Scipio saw the battle turn for the worst, his father was left basically alone, surrounded by Carthaginians. And Scipio turned to his bodyguards and said, guys, we need to save my father. And the Roman bodyguards were scared. They said, the battle's over. Your father's dead. There's nothing we can do to save him. And what did the 17-year-old do?
1: Drew his sword and charged down the hill. Drew
0: his horse, his sword, charged down the hill. The bodyguards were so ashamed that they didn't follow this young guy that they did. They followed him in pursuit. The Carthaginians thought that they had won the battle and Scipio and his bodyguards made so much noise. How big
1: was it? How many was his retinue?
0: It was probably only 20 or 30 bodyguards. It sounds a little fanciful, right? Yeah. But the Carthaginians, according to legend, got scared because they didn't expect an attack from this direction, and they broke and fled, or at least they backed off long enough for Scipio to rescue his father. They returned to Rome, and the Senate wanted to give Scipio the Younger a civic crown for merit, but Scipio refused, saying... The action was one that rewarded itself. In other words, I saved my dad. That's good enough for me. I don't need your stinking award.
1: Yeah, that's pretty noble
0: of him. And as you can imagine, his reputation started to grow in the city of Rome. Two years later, he was a military tribune. And then, Matteo, remember what happened after this battle. Mm. We had the battle at the Trebia River where Roman legions were wiped out. We had the battle at Lake Trasimeno where Roman legions were completely pulverized and wiped out, panic-swept Rome. In the streets of Rome, people were running around screaming and wailing and saying, Hannibal ad portas. Hannibal is at the gates. But, Matteo, this is one of the things that blows me away. Hannibal was not at the gates of Rome. There were no field armies between Hannibal and the city of Rome, and yet, this general, who has gone down in history is perhaps the greatest of the great, this is one of only a couple of moments in his career where you say, what were you thinking, dude? The
1: thing is he wouldn't be able to use his, fam- his uh, army at its full capacity uh, when he's not on a pitched battle. Because he wasn't great at siege warfare, right? Or that wasn't well, his strength? Because The reason he was able to win so many battles was thanks to his use of elephants, which would be no good, obviously, in a siege battle.
0: Well, you know what? Funny thing you say about the elephants. We're going to see how important they really were, but for whatever reason, Hannibal didn't follow up the victory at Lake Trasimeno with a march on Rome. Instead, he marched south, and that's where we uh, met Fabius in our last episode. Fabius became dictator. He was shadowing. Hannibal in the south didn't want to engage him in battle. That's where he got that cunctator nickname, the delayer. And finally, the Romans just got fed up with the delaying approach because as you keep insisting and agreed entirely, the Romans were aggressive. They wanted battle. They wanted war. So they elected two new consuls, a guy named Vero, who was a new man. His father was probably a butcher. And a guy named Paulus, who was an old-school patrician, with a clear mandate, fight Hannibal find him in the south and attack him and they raised the largest army Matteo in the history of Rome 88,000 men and sent them south to find Hannibal and that brings us to imagine this a little hilltop town in the south it is a steamy day towards the end of summer August 2nd there's a wind blowing out of the east you can't see clearly you're sweating like a beast and the Romans march onto a plain in a river valley below a town called Cannae. And that is where the two giants of the Mediterranean met Matteo in what was supposed to be the decisive knockout battle of the war. Now we're two years into the war, into the Second Punic War. The Romans were facing east into the rising sun. It was morning, wind was blowing off the water, blowing dust into their eyes, and remember, These two consuls, they were commanding, first of all, first time at consulship, both of them, they were commanding a green army, a new army, because the old Roman army got wiped out by Hannibal. And among the young officers that day, Matteo, lining up under the two consuls was a 19-year-old guy named Publius Scipio, the younger. He was a military tribune. And he happened to be the son-in-law now, Matteo. He had just gotten married to the daughter of Paulus, the consul. So, Is that the guy? That's not Varus. That's the old guy. Yep, that's exactly right. He's the patrician consul. What did the Carthaginians have? So they're facing 88,000 men. <clears throat> Hannibal had 40,000 infantry, 10,000 cavalry. On paper, massively outgunned. Mm-hmm. But Hannibal's army consisted of hardcore, massively seasoned and veterans. More firepower including guys that survived the first punic war along with some new celtic allies from uh, from uh, cisalpine Gaul, Spaniards and uh, and they were all trained by hannibal. And you said this before. He had a secret weapon? Guess what? He did not. There were no elephants at cannae. Really? Hannibal made it over the alps with 37 elephants. They were all dead at this point. So Hannibal had men, but he had hardcore, very seasoned men. Now, when the Carthaginian forces and the Roman forces looked at each other across the battlefield before they engaged, the Carthaginians were feeling a little jittery because they knew they were outnumbered. And as they were forming up, one of Hannibal's officers, a guy named Gizgo, said he was astonished at the size of the Roman army because the Romans, Matteo, at this point, they normally fought with two legions. They had eight legions on the field that day. And Hannibal turned around and looked at Gizgo and said, Gizgo, there is one thing yet more astonishing, of which you take no notice. In all of these great numbers before us, there is not one man called Gizgo on the Roman side, which made all the Carthaginians crack up, and they got down to, to battle. Mm-hmm. So the course of battle, we talked about it briefly last time. Vero was commander of the day. When there were two consuls in the field, Mateo, the consuls rotated each day, command of the armies. That day, Vero the son, was in charge of the armies, and he lined up in a phalanx formation and planned on ramming through the line of the Carthaginians. Hannibal stood at the center of the Carthaginian line, and he had his weakest troops in the center, the Spaniards and the Gauls. These are guys that were recently incorporated into his army, He had the hardcore crack-seasoned troops on the wings, the Libyan troops. And so first Hannibal sent his cavalry into action and attacked the Roman cavalry on the wings. The Roman cavalry was weak because they were new, because all the old cavalry was essentially dead. Then the Romans started advancing towards the Carthaginians and Hannibal's genius came into play. He started very gradually pulling back his center so that the Romans marched deeper and deeper and deeper into what became a pocket, surrounded by the scary Libyans on the flanks. So all of a sudden the Romans found themselves surrounded on both flanks, the Carthaginian cavalry swung around the rear and closed the trap, and it was a bloodbath, Matteo, an absolute slaughter. Approximately 70,000 Romans and allied Italians died that day, which is seven times more than died at Gettysburg in the U.S. Civil War. On top of it, one-third of all senators were left dead on the field at Cannae. Oh, wow. One-third of the Senate. One-seventh of all military-aged men had now been killed by Hannibal since he descended from the Alps two years before. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus. A third of the senators, a seventh of all the fighting men. It just gave me chills. I mean,
1: that battle was one, one that rung through the ages, you know.
0: It does. They were never able to live it up. They were never able to get past the stain of Cannae. It was the worst defeat for Roman arms in history. And back in Rome, the city slipped into complete and absolute panic, and our old friend Fabius locked the gates so the Romans couldn't escape. However, Matteo, Scipio escaped Cannae. One of 10,000. Yes, you are absolutely right. Only 10,000 men survived, Scipio escaped with them, but they escaped at first, Matteo, to the Roman camp that had been established the day before the battle. Right. But very quickly, Hannibal and his army started closing in on the Roman camp. So Scipio left the camp with 4,000 men who escaped rather than surrender to Hannibal. The other 6,000 surrendered. And they took refuge in a nearby town called Canusium, which is modern Canosa where Scipio helped to rally the survivors. And I love this part. The the survivors... Scipio did not have an elevated command, but the survivors nominated Scipio and another young officer, Appius Claudius, to take command of these 4,000 surviving men.
1: Which is not even... it's barely half a legion.
0: It's barely half a legion. But Scipio got thrust into command by his peers. He very quickly heard Matteo that some of the survivors were planning on going abroad. They weren't going back to Rome; they were going to go somewhere else and find a foreign king to fight for as mercenaries because they basically said Rome is done. Yeah, this is just a couple cohorts, cohorts. Jesus.
1: Yeah. Hard word to say.
0: Hard word to say, especially when you haven't slept. Yeah, so just a couple of cohorts here. They weren't. I mean, there was no hope. You know. No. The end was near. So, what did Scipio do? He pulled out his sword, stormed into the tent where these conspirators were and said the following, I swear that I will neither desert the cause of Rome nor allow any other citizen of Rome to desert desert it. And if I knowingly violate this oath, may Jupiter visit with the most horrible perdition, my house, my family, and my fortune. And then he made all these conspirators swear the same oath. Guys, you're not going anywhere. And they swore the oath. You don't mess with this young guy, Scipio, 19 years old. So shortly after that, Scipio heard that the consul Vero had actually survived Cannae. They wrote to him at Venusium, where he was camped, and they gave the men that they had managed to rescue from Cannae to the control of Vero. Shortly after that, Publius was elected Adil, along with his brother, which is a good story, which we don't have time for even though he was officially too young, Matteo, to hold public office. And some of the old-timers complained, saying, you need to wait your turn. And Scipio basically said, hey, the people chose me. And if the people want me, then I'm old old enough. enough?
1: That's pretty tough. Yeah. I'm
0: not going to lie. So he already started ruffling feathers. Right. And this attitude of his... Shaking up the order. He's shaping up the order, and the old order doesn't like to be shaken up. So after Cannae, in Italy... For some reason, this is the second time Hannibal strikes a mortal blow at the Roman forces and he doesn't follow it up with a march on Rome. For reasons we'll never know. Like, if you are to read critiques of Hannibal, it essentially boils down to this. He had an open highway to Rome, there was no standing Roman field army, and yet he didn't capitalize on the victory at Cannae. I wonder why. I don't think we'll ever know. But far be it from us to criticize Hannibal. Instead, he sent negotiators to Rome with the Roman captives. Remember, there were 6,000 Roman captives. Roman, Actually, of the 6,000 captives, there were Romans and Italians. Hannibal let the Italians go because he was trying to split the Italian allies from Rome. Mm. So He was He's trying to destroy them internally. That's exactly right. That's pretty smart, too. It's brilliant. Plays to his genius. So he took the Roman captives back to Rome along with ambassadors and proposed a peace. And the Senate, and this is... Let's drop my phone. You did drop your phone. L- let me take care of your phone for you over here. So the Senate, you think that they would be... And remember, Fabius is essentially in charge of the Senate at this point, or he is the princeps of the Senate. And the Senate said, no, we don't negotiate with terrorists, dude. We? <laughs> <laughs> we re- you take our, co- our hostages back knowing that this might mean death for the hostages, the Senate of Rome refused to capitulate. And then Rome did something else, which was very surprising. They kept fighting. They put Fabius in charge. They started raising new armies. And they did something else interesting. Up until this point, remember, there was a law that said you couldn't be elected consul back-to-back or tribune back-to-back. It was a one-year term. They started allowing the extension of those terms so that people could get more experience. You could become a more seasoned general. And then... Probably pretty smart. Another very shrewd move, instead of panicking, it's like classic Roman plotting, methodical engineering type mindset. They said, the machine's not working. Let's tweak it a little bit. We can make this thing better. Right. Meanwhile, back in the South, remember Hannibal's shrewd treatment of the Italian allies? I do remember. We talked about it not long ago, but I'm just staring at you. You look very sleepy. I just wanted to make sure. Just a few minutes ago, I do remember talking about it, actually. Okay, because your face is looking very sleepy. No, I'm okay. You're okay? Yeah, I'm all right. Okay, the other thing is you're kind of rolling back and forth on the chair, and I suspect the sound quality isn't great for the listeners when you do that. Well, I'm not doing that when I'm talking. Okay. I'm just enjoying myself here. Okay. Meanwhile, down in the south, Hannibal's policy of being kind to the Roman allies was paying dividends because they started defecting to Carthage's side. The Samnites came over to Carthage, for example. We talked about the Samnites before. Capua, uh, the city of Capua, came over to Hannibal's side. Wait, what? Yes. So the whole city just turned colors. Hannibal, we're, we're for you, buddy. You, you seem like we want to bet on the winning horse, and it looks like you're winning. Philip V of Macedon also said, Hey, oh, I that. Hannibal, I'm in. So all of a sudden, Throughout the Italian peninsula, especially in the south, where Hannibal was rampaging, people seemed less and less afraid of Rome. Rome was no longer invincible. However, on the one hand, Hannibal was getting new allies, and they were replenishing the ranks of his army. But on the other hand, he had new allies that he needed to take care of. Mmm. Mmm. Mm. Mm. Mmm, double-edged sword. Double-edged sword, glass half full, maybe glass a little half empty. Who knows? Because he had people he needed to take care of and protect and feed, and he needed to come to their rescue when they were threatened. And so it started slowing him down a little bit. Now, Hannibal was still a fearsome force and freaked the Romans out. And the Romans did not dare try to take him on directly because he was just too much of a badass. Unstoppable. He was. However, the Romans started making their ex-allies pay the price for deserting. So instead of going after Hannibal, they started going after the Samnites and the Capuans and all the people that were taking the side of Carthage. And in the course of this, these events, Matteo, one of the city-states that went over to the Carthaginian side was Syracusa.
1: <sighs>
0: A sad story. Will you will you give us a couple of seconds of the story?
1: Well, one of the most brilliant people of modern human history, Archimedes, was a member of this Syrac- Syracusan uh, city state, and I believe.
0: Archimedes, uh, basically for the listeners, if you don't know him, he's essentially Einstein and then some. Two thousand years ago. Yeah. And he came up with a lot of uh, very creative
1: methods of combating the Romans, which was super cool. Which, for some reason, nobody else used after. But pretty sure when the Romans came to punish the Syracusans, he was caught in the crossfire.
0: Yeah, I think it's something like a Roman soldier came into his house and said, Hey, old man, get up. And Archimedes said, you know, when I feel like it. And the Roman soldier ran him through and killed one of the greatest minds in human history. A moment of silence for Archimedes. You shouldn't have gone like that. No way. Should have had a much better death. Who knows what your impact might have been on humankind had you had a few more years. At any rate, the point is that Romans were slowly, slowly, slowly regaining ground. More than regaining ground, perhaps they were preventing Hannibal from gaining new ground. And then, as Hannibal is still dominating the Roman south, let's, let's cross the Mediterranean, Mateo, or not go south, but let's go west along the coast into Spain. Should I make my sound effect again?
1: Uh, well,
0: it makes you happy. Be-do-do, be-do-do, be-do-do. In Spain, where we are now, things had actually been going much better. Remember, Scipio's father went to Spain with his brother, uh, which is the uncle of Scipio the Younger, a guy named Gnaeus. And these two extremely talented Scipio brothers, Publius Scipio and Gnaeus, had been there now since the beginning of the war. Uh, from 218 to 211, they were clawing back territory in Spain, pushing the Carthaginians south incredibly effectively until 211, Matteo, when Gnaeus and Publius Scipio divided their armies. And in a very short period of time, they were both killed in battle by... Three Carthaginian generals. They were Hanno, Hasdrubal, and Hasdrubal Gisco. Uh, two of those were brothers of Hannibal. So the Scipio brothers were killed in 211. Roman forces that had been making so much progress were scattered back north of the Ebro River. And back in Rome, an assembly of the people was called, Matteo, to elect a new proconsul to take command in Spain. Right. And when there's an election for consul, As you said, the Romans, they wanted glory. Obviously. Everybody wants to be consul because it's a chance to shine. They had 365 days to make them the most famous person on earth. So To rock it. But guess what happened this time in this election? What? None of the big men stood up. Because they already knew what was going to happen. They started making funny excuses like, I have to get my nails done, I'm busy, I already have a vacation planned, or simply... This is a hopeless cause.
1: And who could blame them, though, at the time? The proof was in the pudding. All the evidence pointed to death, basically. All
0: the evidence pointed to go to Spain and die. But then, in the forum, the crowd cleared. They made a way for somebody to step through into the empty space before them. And that man, that very young man, was Scipio the Younger and he said, "'Guys, I will do it.'" And nobody stood against him. So he was given a title, Mateo, Imperium Pro-Consul, even though he had never been a consul before. And it was the first time in history, in Roman history, that somebody was nominated proconsul, which is like a special consul, without having been a consul before. So in 210, at the age of 24, Scipio set sail for Spain, on 30 quinqueremes from Ostia, which was the port the of the port city of Rome. just west of Rome. Maybe. Exactly right. Loaded with 10,000 fresh troops and 1,000 horse. And he sailed for Spain.
1: 10,000 and 1,000 calf. Look at the fraction of that from the first army. One-eighth of the first army, basically. Oh, with them.
0: yeah. That's, that's right. It's, it's an eighth of the first army, and it is... A fourth of the army. Now, he, he had troops... There were Roman troops in Spain, and when he got there, that was his first job, gather together the scattered Roman forces and try to rebuild their confidence because you can imagine they weren't feeling very good about themselves. And Scipio basically said, Matteo, hey, guys, cheer up. Things are actually doing better in Italy, and things are doing a little bit better in Sicily, and together we can make this happen. You can imagine you're one of these centurions, or legionnaires that had been there for years. eight years, oh, or yeah. 218 to 211. You had been making a ton of progress, and then the general that you followed that was like a god to you, and like a father, was killed in battle, and it was basically your fault. And the
1: next guy that shows up to lead you is basically some brat fresh out of college, like in your
0: eyes, basically 24 years old? 24 years old, and he looked around the troops, and he said this, As you can now trace in me a likeness to my father and uncle in my features, so looked a little bit like his dad and his uncle, I will so restore a copy of their genius, honor, and courage that every man of you shall say that his commander, Scipio, has either returned to life or has been born again.
1: That's pretty awesome. Right? Yeah.
0: I just got chills again. Where did he get the self-confidence from?
1: He just knew what he was capable of, I guess.
0: Even though he had not yet been put to the test, I think you're right. He somehow knew what he was capable of. And he also knew, Mateo, that Spain was the key to the strategy, to the recovery of Rome, because it was the source of Carthage's strength. And so when he arrived in, Rome, in Spain, Mateo, he faced three different field armies, three incredibly talented Carthaginian generals, Mago, who was one of Hannibal's brothers, had an army near the Pillars of Hercules. Hasdrubal, Gizgo, not Hannibal's brother, was somewhere near the mouth of the Tagus River. And then Hasdrubal, the brother of Hannibal, was somewhere around modern Madrid. And so, massively outgunned. Do you think that Scipio marched against one of these field armies? Yeah, I, do. I think he did. Aha! He did not.
1: Oh, I thought... I thought he would have because it'd be the thing that he's not supposed to do.
0: He didn't do that at first. Actually, what he did first, he did without telling anyone. He took 25,000 men. He had 25,000 men, uh, 2,500 horse. He crossed the River Ebro. Remember, that was the kind of the no-go line in terms of Carthaginian control. And he made a forced march, Mateo, over seven days. And he arrived outside Nova Cartago. That was New New Carthage. Carthage. And it was the center of Carthaginians' control in Spain, and there were no field armies there because it was massively well defended. Nobody expected an attack there, and that's where Scipio went. He sent his navy ahead up the coast to meet him there. The navy blockaded uh, the harbor of New Carthage, Nova Carthago, and Scipio laid siege to the walls. But, Mateo, these walls, You get the sense they were a little bit like the walls of Constantinople. They were formidable, almost impossible to attack these walls. And not just the walls themselves, but the city was surrounded by water in three sides. So he only had one side to focus on, and you can imagine the defenders had all of their men on that one exposed side. But Scipio noticed something, Matteo, while he was surrounding the city. One of the three sides that was surrounded by water was actually a lagoon. And that lagoon had a tide. The tide came in. The tide, the tide went came out. out. Yeah. So at nighttime, the tide would be low. And Scipio told his men, gathered them together one day before the habitual daily siege of the city, and said, "Boys, I had a dream. And in that dream, the god Neptune visited me, and said that we would br- have victory if we." followed this path that sounds like constantine genius yeah a lot like constantine great connection i hadn't thought about that so he waited for low tide and as he attacked the main land wall he sent 500 men waiting across the lagoon and they scaled an undefended wall got into the city opened up the gates and the city fell to Scipio. he took the center of carthaginian control in spain where, guess what? They kept all of the extra weapons and all the extra money. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, so he got all of the swords and the so he spears broke and the... So into the lockbox, basically, is what you're saying. That's exactly what he did. Yeah, he got into the lockbox. And there are two cool stories, Matteo, in the wake of this battle, that same day, because Scipio didn't spend a single night in this city, but there are two little anecdotes, events, that I think illustrate the type of man he was, because in addition to being a remarkable general, he was a remarkable human being. Here's the first one. A noble Carthaginian woman threw herself at Scipio's feet and said, Please, uh, sorry, a Spanish woman. It was a Spanish, one of the, one of the a noble women of one of the Spanish tribes. Please, Scipio, take better care of us than the Carthaginians did. And he said, Yes, miss, don't worry. You're going to have all the food you want. No, she said, No, no, no. Take care of me. She said, I told you all the clothing, all the food. And as he was talking, The woman turned around and looked behind her where her two daughters were standing. And they were two stunningly beautiful young ladies. And then she started crying. And Skip, you understood. It's not food and clothing. You want me to protect your daughters from being mistreated by the army. And he said, please don't worry. I'm going to take care of them as if they were my own sisters. No harm shall come to them.
1: What a nice guy. A most people in that
0: position, most like scumbags from that era would have done some gross things. Some terrible things. Yeah. And you know what the funny thing is, the second story about Scipio after his defeat, after his uh, capture of the city is the falling. His troops, to your point, brought a phenomenally stunningly beautiful girl to him. She looked like a goddess. And the story goes that they knew that Scipio was, he was married, it is true, he was a 24 year old man he was attracted to attractive women. And they said, General, here she is, this woman, she's so beautiful, she's here for you. We're giving her to you. And Scipio said, Hey guys, (laughs) of course, we need to put this in the context of the age because this might sound a little unpolitically correct. But he said, If I were a private citizen, this would be amazing. But I'm the general. So there's, there's no way. And instead, he took this Young lady, and gave her back to her father. Her father was so thankful, he sent Scipio a boatload of money. <laughs> but then Scipio heard something that this girl, she was actually engaged to be married to a young chief of a Spanish tribe, a guy named Lucius. And so Scipio took the money that he got from the father of the girl, and he sent the money to Lucius and said, Here's your dowry. Use this. This is my wedding gift to you guys. Crazy, no?
1: Yeah.
0: And Lucius was so grateful that he showed up a few days later with 1,400 horsemen and joined the Romans Yeesh. to fight on behalf of Scipio. So he was a pretty uh, what's it called gregarious guy. He was gregarious and shrewd as can be. Like his strategy, it was like he was thinking five steps ahead. It's like when you and I play chess, and I'm thinking five steps ahead. Oh of you.
1: come on, stop it. Or when we play, Three steps. You're crazy. Or when we play a Crusader King, and I'm 30 steps ahead of you. Crusader
0: King, you're 30 steps ahead of me. That's very true. So the same night that Scipio conquered the town, he left, and he went back to his palisaded camp. And the next day, he started drilling his troops to keep them razor sharp. Three-mile marches in full armor, conducting mock battles, mock battles, and his legend started to grow Matteo. And the Spanish tribes started defecting to Rome. So. There were a, a few battles that followed. Not a few. There were several battles. And in each of them, Scipio and the Romans were victorious. Scipio, in one of the big ones, fought and defeated Hasdrubal. This is the brother of Hannibal at the river Betis, which today is called the Guadalquiver. Guadalquiver? Guadalquiver? Oh, God, your mother is going to freak out. Where? How do you pronounce that? Guadalquiver. Okay, we'll, we'll run with that. And he defeated Hasdrubal, and Hasdrubal fled Spain to Italy. So Scipio is now knocked out one of the three uh, field generals of Carthage. And by the way, Hasdrubal would be killed shortly thereafter in Italy at the Battle of Mattaris. After this battle, Spanish allies saluted Scipio as king. You are the, the, our king, the king of Spain. And Scipio gathered everybody together, Matteo, and he said, Hey, guys, thanks so much. Let, let's just make this clear. I want to be kingly, but I do not want to be a king. Just call me general. Woo. <laughs>
1: Get it right, it's general, not king. Right? Kingly, what does that mean to be kingly though?
0: It means I want to be noble and I want to protect my people and I want to save the realm, but I don't want the power of a king. Yeah,
1: He was a big uh, believer in
0: uh, the Republic, right? Very much so and that's going to come back again and again in the next two episodes. So, there was the final battle in Spain, Mateo, called the Battle of Alipa. We're now in 206 BC. Remember, the Second Punic War started in 218 BC, and in 211, Scipio arrived in Spain, so he's been there for five years now. Hasdrubal, not the brother, but the other Hasdrubal, gathered one last great army to Face down, wait, so the Hasdrubal
1: that just died was the
0: brother? That was the brother. This is the other Hasdrubal. Was he also an, a general? Yes, he was also was he a general. Was he good like the other two? Or he not? was also extremely good. So there's two really good Hasdrubals. There are two extremely good Hasdrubal generals, yes. And then one extremely good Hannibal. And then, there, yes, that's right. And Bro- there was also Hasdrubal the Fair, who was the brother-in-law. Which wait, is, there are three Hasdrubals. Wait, Hashtubals. wait, wait, wait. Yeah, wait, wait, what? Yep. yeah. yeah. So there was two
1: brothers named Hasdrubal.
0: So first we get Hamilcar, the dad. Yeah. He had a son-in-law called Hasdrubal the Fair. I knew that. Who was an awesome general, was killed a while ago. And then there were two more Hasdrubals. Hasdrubal the brother, who just got killed in Italy, and Hasdrubal the friend, Hasdrubal Gisco, who was another great Hasdrubal general. And he was the last big general in Spain on behalf of Carthage. And he gathered one last great army, Mateo, 70,000 foot, 4,000 horse, 32 war elephants near modern Sevilla. Scipio had 45,000 men. 74,000 men, 32 war elephants, versus 45,000 men, and of the 45,000, 20,000 were Spanish allies.
1: So they weren't even his soldiers.
0: No, not reliable troops. They could switch sides at any time. And so, for several days, these two armies faced off. Every morning, the Carthaginians would have their full breakfast, and with their bellies full, they would show up late on the field of battle, and stand there and beat their chests. And then Scipio, very deliberately, would always come out afterwards. And for days this went on. Carthaginians, full breakfast, toast, bacon, waffles, show up late on the field, and then Scipio shows up, day after day. And every day when Scipio showed up, he had the core of his army in the center, the Romans and the Italian allies, his hardened troops, every morning. And until... About a week after this, Matteo so is going on. He's 29 now. He's 20... Because you said five years later. I think so. Okay. About that. Until one night, Mateo, Scipio tells his troops, guys, put on your armor now. Right around bedtime. And then, at the first late of day... Remember, they had been showing up on the field late and always after the Carthaginians. Right. At first light, Scipio takes his army and attacks the Carthaginian camp. The Carthaginians had to muster quickly. They didn't have time for breakfast, no food in the tummy, and the battle was on. So the two armies line up. But one of the things that the Carthaginians did not see, and this was key to his strategy, Scipio moved the Roman court. They were no longer in the center. They were in the wings. On the flanks. On the flanks. He put his weakest troops in the center. And just like Hannibal did at Cannae, he threw his hardened troops on the wings at the Carthaginian flanks, surrounded them in an enveloping move, destroyed the Carthaginian wings, and then moved on the center and destroyed them.
1: Classic encirclement tactics.
0: Yes. They always win. And the battle was won, just like Cannae. Scipio had observed his enemies now for years. And it's something we're going to see hundreds of years from now when we talk about Belisarius. He was a very keen student of the enemy and he observed their best practices and he made them his own. After this battle, Matteo, Carthage withdrew from Spain. That was it. Carthaginian forces retreated to Africa man. with the exception of Hannibal who was still rampaging in the south of Italy. Shortly after the battle, letters started coming to Scipio from his friends saying, Dude, you rock! Congrats! Why don't you take a vacay? Let's go do something fun together. (laughs) And this was Scipio's response. He had not to consider how he should begin the war against Carthage, for up to now the Carthaginians had been making war on the Romans. But now fortune had given the Romans the opportunity of making war on the Carthaginians. So, guys, up until now, we've just been reacting. Yeah.
1: Now. We've been playing their game. And now? It's time to make them play our game. I think you need to speak up a little bit louder. It's time for the Romans to start making the Carthaginians play their game. and Engage them on their terms.
0: Yes. So, time for Scipio to go back to Rome because this battle is over. But before he did, he crossed over to Africa and met with one of the kings of what today is basically Algeria, a guy named Syphax, and said, hey, don't you want to be on the winning side? And Syphax said, yeah, I think so. We're going to see him again. And then he went to Western Iberia or Hispania to meet with a Numidian prince called Masinasa, who also said, Sounds you know like what? Sounds like Musa. <laughs> it does a little bit. Yeah. So this guy is super cool, and he's going to come back later in the story. One last thing that Scipio did, Matteo, before he went back to Rome, is he founded a new town in Spain called Italica. It's about nine kilometers outside of Sevilla. And it would later become the birthplace of three Roman emperors. Trajan, Hadrian, and Theodosius.
1: Wow. Is it a big city now?
0: I don't think it exists anymore. Or maybe it's been subsumed into Sevilla. Sevilla. But uh, imagine, this is a thread for another alternative history. The what would you have happened? from Spain? I don't yeah, even know he is. That. Yeah, he's Spanish. So, with Spain under control, Scipio returns to Rome. And after mopping up Spain, Mateo, and having accomplished the impossible, he entered the city of Rome. So, he's been consul for five years now. He has been proconsul for 211 to 205, six years. Wow. And. He accomplished, would you say, some pretty remarkable things in Spain? Oh,
1: absolutely. He smacked up the Barca family in their own, uh, quote-unquote, like, territories.
0: Yeah, their own little personal fiefdom. Yeah, he just walked into their house and had some fun, basically. <laughs> he did. And so, what do you think would have been waiting for him at Rome when he arrived?
1: A pissed-off, angry genius. By the name of? Hannibal Barca.
0: Or Hanno Baal. Hanno Baal. But what about in the city of Rome? Oh. What do you think a, the reaction a would have been? Uh, A freaking party. I mean, obviously a triumph, right? Would you... Be, ah, there you have it. Would you believe me if I told you that the Senate did not grant him a triumph? Why? I thought they were also writing him letters and stuff. He was denied a triumph, Matteo, because he was, according to the Roman historian Livy, sine magistratu. Meaning, he had not been elected to a magistracy. He was not a consul within the what? imperium, so he was not legally eligible to receive a triumph. But he was pro-consul. I understand. Pro-consul, but it wasn't the same thing as a consul. You know, the Romans were super legalistic.
1: That's such, such BS. That's like some right? jealous BS.
0: Is jealous BS, because we know who was behind all of this. Freaking Fabius, wasn't he? Freaking Fabius. Ah,
1: screw that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so give the kids some props.
0: Yeah. So listen, we're an hour into this episode. The question is, do you think we can keep going a little bit more and then we cut this episode and move into episode two? Should I we, say
1: we leave it for next week?
0: We leave it for next week? Oh yeah. Well let's give it ten more minutes. Okay, let's listen. Let, let's listen, give it,
1: listen. You literally uh, say this is the end of part one, right? Yeah, here. I know. I wrote that. So here. you plan for this. Let's follow the freaking plan. Let's. Because you
0: know what happens when you don't follow the plan. Uh, what happens Things when you when fall don't follow the plan? They fall apart in your face. Okay. All right. Can I just suggest? Let's give this five minutes more, because this is important, and then we're gonna wrap it up, because we started talking about it already. From the beginning, Scipio was this like young whippersnapper, right? Right. And the old guard. A young cat. Doesn't like the young cat. Cat. That's what people say, right? A young cat, a cool cat? A, a young cat on the block. <laughs> is is that what they call Okay, you're starting to go delirious. How much sleep <laughs> did you actually get last night? I got good sleep. Can we just continue, please? Okay. <laughs> so, the old guard doesn't love the young new whippersnapper, who, by the way, just wiped out the Carthaginian hold on Spain. And in particular, there were two old dudes that did not like this young punk. Because it's all about glory, like I said. And one of them was, as you said, Fabius, the Delayer. And the other was a guy, Mateo, that is probably known, at least the name known to many of our listeners, called Cato,
1: oh, the Elder. I don't know if Cato was... Well, obviously this is an ancestor of it, right?
0: Yes. This is an ancestor mm. of that Cato. So Cato, the Elder, was a bit of a crank. And he's somebody that had served Just under like Scipio at some point, and he was in charge of the finances of Scipio's army, and when Scipio was lavishing salary and presents on his troops, Cato was like, why? But why? But but, but, but why are you spending money frivolously? The troops don't need it. And Scipio knew how to motivate the troops, and he fired Cato and sent Cato back to Rome. So Cato had an axe to grind, and Cato, in addition, Matteo, hated Carthage. And when I say hate, I mean it was a poison that ran <laughs> in his veins. So just
1: like um, Hannibal for Rome.
0: Yes, but Cato was a senator. He wasn't wasn't a man of action, and he was a great orator. And at the end of every speech in the Senate, Matteo, and it didn't matter what the speech was about. It could be, hey, in the Senate break room we need more ice cream. And at the end of every speech, he would say the following: Cartago, delenda. Est. Carthage must be destroyed. <laughs> so he's always taking shots at Carthage. Every single time he spoke in the Senate, whatever it was about, the weather's beautiful today, Cartago delenda est. So, Scipio had these two old guys that opposed him. But the people of Rome loved him. And you right. can
1: understand why. He was like Michael Jordan. He was Jordan. And the other two guys were like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. I think so.
0: Although I think Magic Johnson seemed like a fairly sweet guy. Was he mean to Michael Jordan? No, I don't think so. I don't think so.
1: Remember like Isaiah Thomas?
0: Yeah, me, yeah. Pistons? Kind of a cranky, conservative, what the hell.
1: Bad boy Pistons. Yeah.
0: So because the people loved him, Mateo, shortly thereafter, in 205, he was finally elected consul for the first time, even though he was technically too young to be consul. The Romans had laws about everything, and this Scipio, young Scipio, who I think as you said was around 29 right now, or maybe 30, right, because he was born in 235, he just turned 30, he was technically too young to be consul, but he was elected consul regardless. He asked for a new province, Matteo, because you know the consuls requested their province where they wanted to be active with their army that year, and he requested, wait for it, what province do you think he asked for? really africa ah which was no roman province bold no that was pretty bold
1: i have a question yeah now that we're talking about years mm-hmm. obviously it's before common era and before christ or whatever so we count down right for yes. them though what year was this because they weren't counting down because christ was important yet
0: oh man you have completely revealed one of my big weaknesses i don't know can we put a pin in that and All answer right. it in our next episode? Yeah, I wonder that. It's a great question, and I don't know. I'm guessing they probably started counting from the founding of mythical Rome of 750 whatever, and Romulus, but I don't know. Let's come back to that in the next episode. All right. So he asked for the province of Africa, and Cunctator, who was the senior senator, said, There's no way. You know what? Scipio, you little punk, stay here in Italy because the enemy is in Italy. Hannibal is in Italy. You're going to go fight somewhere where the enemy isn't, and some people, Matteo, started saying, "Hey, Fabius, are you jealous? Are you maybe jealous of this young kid?" And Fabius said, "What rivalry can exist between me and a man who isn't even as old as my son?" But in right?
1: in, in all of his years, though, and in his short lifetime, he still conversed way more than Fabius
0: did, and, and and anybody else that was sitting in the Senate. And then he talks some more trash about Scipio Mateo. How does this make you feel? He said this. When Hannibal came to Italy, your father left Spain to return here. Now Hannibal is here, but you would leave Italy to fight somewhere else? Not because you think it's a good idea, but because you see personal glory.
1: <laughs> what a freaking lame! Right? Yeah. He's like just loser. a cranky old, kind of bitter old guy. Yeah, I hope you told him what's what. Oh, he
0: did. And this is what he said. And this is... More than anything else Scipio has done to date, I love this the most. What he says now, he said, When my father and uncle were slain, when Spain lay beneath the heel of four victorious Carthaginian armies, when no one except me would offer themselves for such a forlorn venture, why was it that no one at that time made any mention of my age or the strength of the enemy, of the difficulties, of the recent fate of my father and uncle? I shall, Quintus Fabius, have the opponent you assigned me, Hannibal, but I shall rather draw him after me than be kept here by him. Though Fabius has depreciated my services in Spain, I will not attempt to turn his glory into ridicule and magnify my own. If in nothing else, though a young man, I will show my superiority over this old man in modest, modesty and in the governance of my tongue.
1: Jeez. They say with age comes wisdom, but he just basically freaking, he, he crapped on him, basically. <laughs> yeah, he did. I don't know how to explain But that. elegantly, yeah. beautifully, with basically class. Just told him that he was an immature little brat, yes. even though he was old as hell. Yes.
0: Oh, that's pretty awesome. Incredibly awesome. As you can imagine, the Senate, that had many supporters of Fabius at that point, they relented. You hear that called him out in front of everyone. It's done. Yeah. However, the Senate, Matteo, and this was the influence of Fabius and Cato, the elder, still did not give him more men. What? Instead, Scipio, out of his own pocket, built 30 warships within 45 days. And because of his own character and charisma and his growing legend, he was able to raise another 7,000 volunteers and he sailed for sicily and he landed in siracusa and began to prepare his men for a move on africa and i think that young man is a better way to close this episode i off. think so okay you're right you have one eye open and one eye closed no i don't
1: Why are you lying
0: <laughs> so that's it for the first episode To our listeners, we truly hope that you think that it's worth it. This guy is remarkable, and hopefully at the end of episode one, you are starting to get a sense of how truly remarkable he is. We're not going to rate Scipio now. That's going to come in the next episode. Uh, But I want to say two things. One is that if you're into the history of Scipio, I would love to recommend a couple of sources if you want to dig deeper. One is a fantastic podcast by a guy named Daryl D. called Great Battles in History. And he does a deep dive on Cannae, which will give you also a great sense of Hannibal's brilliance and what the Romans were up against. And there's also a book that I just reread for these episodes called Scipio Africanus Greater Than Napoleon by a historian called B.H. Little Hart. It was written 100 years ago, but it's masterful and still fresh, and it's incredible if you want to get into the details of how brilliant Scipio truly was in war and in peace. A quick shout-out, Matteo, to some new countries. We have
1: Malta. You, just got, you guys just lost 4-0 to Italy yesterday. Did they soccer. really? Yeah, oh, well, yeah, well they, they always get destroyed, but still love Malta. Portugal,
0: (laughs) that was not so nice. It was nice. Portugal, India, Denmark, and Ireland. There's some awesome new countries. Can I tell you something? I look at this every couple days to see what countries are listening, and I don't know why it gets me so excited to see us spreading uh, around the globe. I just think it's the coolest thing ever. It really pumps me up. What about you? How do you feel about it? So indifferent. You're indifferent? No, I'm just kidding. It's great. Ah, ah yes, bro. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. All right. And before we close out, let's read one fan review uh, from iTunes. And okay. Mateo, would you read this one, please? From, I read it, and I loved it. By methan 777
1: Five stars. Titled, Finally. Long story short, I put off listening to this because who has the time? I decided to listen during my walk, substituting for my usual array of music. While well, the walk ended with with the half hour to go. So listened during dinner, then listened while putting dishes away and settling down for the evening. I couldn't put it down, even though the newly bought Musk biography sat on the table staring at me, waiting for the cover to be cracked. Take that, Elon. (laughs) I had given Regulus a 10 across the board, in this day and age, and probably in his day too. Virtue is rare and and trumps us all. Now I'll go back and listen to the first seven episodes. Oh, no, not the first three. Please no. Like Storm's novels and Roman heroes, the podcast was captivating. Well, Maffin Maffin, I'm sorry about the first three episodes.
0: <laughs> no, they're good. They're good. You were just a little sleepy, but but we're both we're both getting better. At any rate, thank you so much for listening to the first in two installments on Scipio Africanus. You'll hear the next one next Sunday. Please continue to leave reviews on iTunes. They're so helpful to getting us getting the word out there and getting good placement and search results. Send us emails at info at com with feedback, with thoughts. What do you want to hear in the next episode? What did we get wrong? What did we get right? Or tweet us on Twitter at Lost Heroes or on Instagram. Thank you to you all. And we will pick up the thread on Skip you Africanus next Sunday when things get real, Mateo, because we're going to Africa.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Thank you for listening.
1: Stay tuned.
0: Bye-bye.